0: You're listening to the substandard model. On today's episode, we look at the sun and how its atmosphere is in fact three hundred times hotter than its surface.
1: And we examine one of the most studied cases in all of population dynamics over the last seventy years, i.e., how one wolf's penis can kill two thousand moose. Mice. M- m- mooses mish,
0: mish. <laughs> hay fever
1: hay fever we were just talking yeah um, the-, the trees are horny and love is in the air and it seems that we're all suffering from from tree jizz yeah is it really it was- bad this year it's really bad P- people I have never heard complain about hay fever in the last two or three including myself in the last two or three days <laughs> Have been, have been hit real bad. Yeah. I'm... I think this is the London Plains. I think, I think next year. I, think, I mean, I've never had hay fever before. So I'm, I'm hopeful that this is just going to be an off
0: year for me. Am I yeah. not? Dude, I'm, 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 I'm on drugs for hay fever.
1: Are you, are you an antihistamine guy?
0: What, they my make God. Me sad,
1: They make me sad. I don't like them.
0: There's so many. There's so many. Oh God, there's so many. Fucking drugs for hay fever as well. And none of them do anything. I'm on floor six of my accommodation. That's the sixth floor, right? Right. And I don't even sleep with my window open at the moment because the hay fever's been so bad that I wake up and there's no trees outside. I don't know where the pollen's coming from, but <clears throat> I wake up sneezing every morning. Jesus. And all I do is like walk out onto this concrete road, right? Get on a train yeah. that takes me to another concrete place. Admittedly, I walk across Hyde Park. But then I go into my labs, spend six hours there in a dark room where not even light gets in, and I'm sneezing constantly, which moves me on to my lab experiment, which is the next big exciting thing on this podcast. Ooh. So we've, uh, we've finished model four. Basically, my lab experiment is... Okay, in year one in Imperial, the, the way they do it is they basically give you for like the biggest part of term three is just you now have access to our labs and we taught you enough like good like quality techniques and whatnot over the past two terms for you to just sort of have your own with with the labs right so we've been given like five or six weeks to just do anything we want in physics anyway so my one started with we're just going to make plasma And to do that, you need to make a vacuum tube and you need to fit electrodes in the vacuum tube and then you need to put several thousands of volts over the electrodes and the vacuum needs to be about, you know, 100 pascals to one kilopascal and then it will start being this beautiful purple glow between the two electrodes, which is a glow discharge. Um, For lightning, you get an arc, which is plasma, but it's a higher temperature plasma. So it's quite interesting. You get sort of breakdown voltages where if you at the same pressure you increase the voltage it will go from nothing to a glow discharge you keep increasing the voltage to an arc so we're, we're nowhere near an arc but we've got a lovely glow discharge and glow discharges are cool they're more they're more exciting than just a sort of simple glow between two electrodes because you've got a glow that sits around the anode like a little mushroom and then you've got a big lobe that comes from the capode and they're different colors it's wonderful and now we're on our fourth model of vacuum chamber. We've been improving it each way. So I built four vacuum chambers from scratch with glue guns and acrylic and perspex and bits of, you know, metal and copper and whatever. Right. It's been so much fun. Mm-hmm. Um, and we built a spectrometer inside this one in our third value. In our third one, we put the spectrometer inside of the electrode, which is such a fucking dumb idea. I don't know why we thought it was. Would... <laughs> I mean, it was me who thought of it, but. I thought for some reason it would be easier to pull a vacuum if we had less holes in the chamber, so we'll run the electrode through the same hole as the spectrometer. So our spectrometer was sitting inside of a hollow electrode. Yeah. And and guess what happened? What happened was we were getting really white, bright white flashes, not on the actual electrode, but on the housing of the spectrometer. So we were were forming like plasma inside of our spectrometer which was not cool. So we were switching it off pretty no quickly idea. after we saw that. Um, uh, but the one we currently got has got two pointed, sharpened copper electrodes. They're about a centimetre apart, which means that the breakdown voltage or the voltage at which we start creating or seeing the glow discharge is really low. I say really low, it's about two kilovolts, 2000 volts. Mm-hmm. But we've got up to 6.2 kilovolts at, to dispose, at our disposal. So we've got a big range for which we can take measurements. Now we've got a spectrometer mm-hmm. built into the side. I put it into a completely dark box. Um, okay. But anyway, what we're looking at now is a graph that I printed from our plasma that shows the wavelength and then different intensities of light at each wavelength. So it's like, what colors are we seeing? Um, and we see lovely little discrete spikes at different wavelengths in the purple range, which is what the color of the plasma is. It's purple. Um, and mm-hmm. now we can take all this data and we can google what what wavelengths correspond to what electron decays in each of the like nitrogen and the oxygen found in the air, and like there's continuous blackbody radiation that it gives us as well, which is going to be a lot mm-hmm. harder to find because that's going to be sort of a smooth increase over a broad range of wavelengths so I'm going to have to compare it right. to background whilst also cutting out the spectral peaks so I'm going to have to do a lot of you know coding fucking, oh. to, to try and extract that um but that'll be really cool if i can see the black body emission of the plasma as well because that'll be really subtle because that's dependent on the temperature of the plasma which is kind of low in our in our case um like if you if you had a million volts at your disposal and cranked it all the way up and had like literally 0.01 pascals of pressure then you could like in ideal situations then you could have really cool colors coming out of this with, you know, combination of black body and spectral emissions. The other one that we can get is bremsstrahlung, which isn't black body. Yeah. That's collisions between electrons and ions in the plasma when they're, when they're dissociated from one another, when they collide, they smash off little photons. And right. I think okay. that's, I think that's also continuous long story short. I've been making plasma yeah. taking spectral readings of it and um the data is really good and i'm just really excited to get stuck into extracting what the data means and then writing it down in a nice way i'll send you a picture sam which is what a thing i made which is quite fun um and what it is is it's a perfect it's a it's a purple square is what it is <clears throat> i want you to just enjoy this purple square because what this purple okay. square is is all of the significant wavelengths that we picked out of our plasma from our readings we overlaid the specific colors, right? We altered the opacity of each color on Google mm-hmm. Slides, I might say, Google Slides, not sponsored by Google, but very good software, Google Slides. Um, right? And we altered the opacities to correspond to the intensities of each wavelength, then put all of the layers of color on top of each other to give one lovely resultant purple color. So that color is the raw air plasma color. At those volts and pressures, at least as far as our experiment—that's the
1: color of plasma in air.
0: Yeah, that's the color. It's a it's a smooth. It's just a purple block. It's very cool. Mm -hmm. I'm just really proud that I managed to build from the ground up a thing that's made of scratch, right? Made from scratch, that is like accurate at picking up photonic emissions from a plasma that I've created. It just, gives me, it just gives me such a fizz.
1: <laughs> anyway, so cool. talking about so platform, I can actually jealous. lead it to
0: my first fact.
1: Yeah, let's do it. Let's go straight. Right.
0: <laughs> my first fact, Sam, on yeah. Earth, today is, yes. I'm actually looking at my computer at the moment. It says 18 degrees, and then underneath it says record high, which I assume is a record high for London at you know, midnight at, in... You know, it's really tuned. It. it says record high. Is the atmosphere colder or warmer than the ground, Sam?
1: Um, the ground is warmer than right. the. Well, is it day or night? Uh, the ground absorbs in, some on of the average, energy. From on average. It? On average, the ground is warmer because the ground absorbs some energy from the sun and then radiates it as far red at night, as what i is what I know. Right and so i would say it's what about the below ground.
0: the ground in the crust is that warmer or colder than the ground like in the mantle
1: <laughs> in the mantle the mantle is, is 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 a good good bit warmer than, than the atmosphere. Yeah, yeah. okay i'm yeah. being a
0: bit i'm being a bit boring and easy right as a general trend uh-huh. we can say that the temperature decreases as we go radially out from a planet and i think that's true for all planets would you agree sam
1: yeah yeah i can't think of any exceptions right now yes Right, but what about stars? Oh, so what about stars? I know in stars, it's. I think isn't the outside of the sun the least hot bit? The corona?
0: Oh, God. <laughs> Is that That's the opposite? It's the complete it's the opposite. opposite, isn't it? This is going to fuck with you a bit. Opposite. Right, so the middle of the sun is 15 million degrees. And the photosphere is the surface of the sun. Like, it's the orb, right? And then you've got the atmosphere okay. of the sun, because the sun's got shit, you know, plasma around it that's kind of not in the sun, but it's, like, cooler. Mm-hmm. Plasma cooler, mm-hmm. in inverted commas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just going to throw it out there. The atmosphere of the sun is around 300 times hotter than the surface of the sun. I'm not, I'm not joking. Wait.
1: Why? Why on earth is that? So I thought, I always thought, like, you know, what you're told at GCC is like, sun is the size and the (laughs) stage of a star is controlled by a temperature and gravity, and they're working against each other. And that Uh as gravity compresses the star, temperature increases because you're increasing collisions, and that therefore balances it with an expanding force. Uh And in my head, that model aligns with the fact the middle of the star is the hot bit, which pushes it outwards. Yeah. But but that's wrong. Or no, it's not that's wrong, true. That's true for get, everything oh,
0: below the photosphere.
1: Right, right, right the, right, sun, right. the
0: sun's entirely conventional up until its surface. I'm just saying the atmosphere so of the sun is happening. it's like it's like saying the mantle's hotter than the crust on Earth, right? Which is true, right? But for some reason, the atmosphere of the Earth, the nitrogen and the oxygen that we breathe, is 300 times hotter than the ground we're standing on. What causes the corona to be hotter? Right. Okay. So. Plasma's a charged particle that influences an electric field, right? Right. According to Maxwell's equations, we know that moving electric charges have magnetic fields associated with them that act perpendicular to the electric field that they're creating or changing, right? hmm Basically, the sun underneath the surface has a lot of moving charge as everything's being ripped apart and smashed into each other, all those ions and electrons and everything, right? It's chaotic, right? Yeah. And so what you see on the surface is you see giant arcs of magnetic fields that come out of the surface and then loop back around and go back down into the surface, right? Right. And these magnetic fields actually create an electric field that travels like through the center of the arc, perpendicular to the arc. Mm-hmm. So you get like tunnels of magnetic fields, like arches of magnetic fields creating a tunnel. Oh yeah. It has an electric yeah, yeah, yeah. field flying through the middle and the plasma gets drawn through that electric field, like, a, like, a, like, like electrons in a wire. Right. It gets, mm-hmm. it gets, it gets like current. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, but what happens is the sun below squeezes these magnetic arches such that the base of the arch gets pushed together So it sort of pinches at its base, but you've still got the plasma flowing through. So what happens is a magnetic reconnection. So as the sun squeezes Mm -hmm. the two legs of this arch together on top of each other, and they're going in opposite directions, um, a lot of potential energy is built. So it's like, it's really resisting getting flipped to align the magnets, the magnetism, right? They really don't want to align Mm -hmm. with each other. Right. So a lot of potential energy is getting flipped, but the sun's like, fuck it. You know, I'm a big, I'm a bad bitch. I do this, right? Mm. So I'm going to push these two arches together. I don't care what Maxwell says, right? I'm just doing it, right? Nope. I'm going to have no, magnetism man. of up and down here. Um, but what happens is as that pentaton energy reaches like a max and they're right next to each other, both of those field lines break. And then the break also simultaneously reconnects all of the broken ends because you can't have a broken end of a field line. Like a field line's got to go somewhere.
1: It's so just all the hit. broken ends just snap together.
0: It's become a loop, right? Like a loop of string, right? Because the bit that Mm -hmm. was going down previously has now gone down, gone to the right, connected with the bit that's going up, and is now going up. And obviously it goes up and then arches back down again. So you've got a loop. The plasma is still trapped inside the loop. And the key part is the loop has been stretched. The loop's not circular, which means in the exact same way as like surface tension, there's all that potential energy that was built up when you squeezed those two opposing bits of magnetism together. Like an elastic band, the loop pings back down into a circular shape. Mm-hmm. And what that does is that's, that, that imparts a lot of kinetic energy into the plasma, like billions okay. of joules of kinetic energy into the plasma.
1: Mm.
0: And then that plasma gets flung into space. Guess how many kilograms of mass, because you know mass is equal to energy with E equals mc squared, and that's how yeah. the sun gets its energy. It breaks mass into photons, right? So guess how many kilograms of mass, of matter, is lost every second in the center of the sun? Like in the how center
1: ma- of the sun from fusion?
0: Yeah, fusion. is lost. Uh, to, like, in the universe, there was mass, uh, but it's now completely turned into energy
1: every second in the sun. Oh, Just the sun? Yeah. Every second, two kilograms.
0: Two. Ooh.
1: Millions. <laughs> four, million, million.
0: four billion kilograms. <laughs> four billion <laughs> kilograms of mass. What? That's four million tons of mass is, is converted into pure energy every second. It's 600 billion uh, kilograms of... 600 billion kilograms of... Um, Hydrogen is converted into 596 billion kilograms of helium every second. Oh my! It's about forty. No, no. it's 14 and a half trillion kilos disappear into pure Wait, energy
1: but, but, but every hour. But the c squared. But the yeah. c, but c squared is such a big number.
0: Yeah. So, so the energy output is 14 and a half trillion times by, you know. What,
1: oh shit! Yeah. <laughs> times by oh, nine times shit. ten to
0: the sixteen. So now you've got. What, 25 zeros every hour of joules?
1: I basically thought, like, there's a lot of energy, sure, but the amount of mass can't be that big because you're dividing it by fucking C squared. But, like, I guess it's still big. It's still big. And that's a small star. It's not a small star. It's just standard progression, basic S star, and it's just fucking... pump. Do we get that back? (laughs) No. (laughs) that has gone. Is that just heat death into non-existence? Yeah, I mean, I guess you can have photons decaying
0: into into matter, but but that doesn't happen really unless a photon flies past another piece of matter in specific conditions. I love that you said <laughs> I, two kilos and also that the
1: yeah. I genuinely thought like it would be in the maybe. You know, what What's what? an energy is it? Oh, probably millions or trillions. And therefore, if you add C squared, then it's going to end up... I thought the fact that it would be yeah. smaller than you expected. Yeah. Because of the C squared, but it's just still huge. <laughs> just nah. <laughs> just nah. I just don't give a shit. The speed of light is nothing. It's always got to be a 1000000000 is hasn't it? Yeah. Anyway, so I haven't even gotten
0: to why this corona is hotter. I've yeah, you why so the it's... sun expels matter. I think they're called nano flares. And basically it's the exact same thing I described, but it happens for very, very small magnetic fields. Because if you look at the surface of the sun, the magnetic fields that exist there, it's not like the Earth, where it's like giant loops that are just, you know, perfectly straight yeah, and yeah. lovely going through the oh, north oh, and the no. south pole, right? On the sun, it's like right. it's like spaghetti ocean in terms of yeah. field lines, right? So you end up with lots of really, really small ones. So you have lots of little small magnetic arches with small amounts of plasma inside of them, and they're just constantly Mm. being squeezed and snipped and snipped and snipped and snipped and and reconnecting and reconnecting and pinging, right? Right. But the the viscosity of the atmosphere slows down the plasma particles that are emitted. Mm Mm-hmm so it sort of Uh, captures the plasma particles so that it's like a bullet traveling through water and cooking the water as it travels through so you get all of the magnetic fields on the surface of the sun uh, which look like spaghetti getting snipped at their base then pinging like elastic bands into the atmosphere of the sun but then slowing down because it's not that much plasma and getting converted all of their kinetic energy into heat which results in the atmosphere of the sun being 300 times hotter than the surface of the sun yeah
1: I've got a fun one. I think it's um, it's a story of of sex, right. uh, of power.
0: Right. Just go for it, man.
1: D- <laughs> Should I just do it? So, this is it's a tale of of research. It's an ongoing study that's been going on since 1958. So for about seventy years. Right. And it's a study on an island, right. an island called Isle Royale. It's like a Ooh. really good little case study, and a lot of interesting things have happened on this island. And they've taught us quite a lot during this really, really long time that we've been researching it. So I'm going to start by, by saying that moose are on the island, right? I mean, as moose are in most of Minnesota and, like, fucking Canada and Michigan and stuff, moose are everywhere. And this is an island that's about nine miles wide and, you know, 45 miles long. So it's long and thin. Yeah. And it's thought that maybe in 1900 or maybe just around then, some moose either swam across or like artificially put there and they were having a great time, right? Moose were like, there are wolves pretty much throughout my entire range. They really, they really get on on my nerves. I mean, they mostly go for the caribou, but every now and again, I'll take a moose and, and moose, we're really happy that we've managed to find this long, thin Island, with no people and no wolves. And as much, as much plants as I could care to eat. So for a while, this was essentially a moose paradise. However, in 1949, Possibly a single pair of wolves crossed an ice bridge from Ontario onto the island during a particularly harsh winter. And these wolves are like... I so one pair of wolves. These are the grey twins but, of wolves. Yes, and unfortunately, this this isn't just a story of, of sex, power, and moose. This is a story of inbreeding. Oh. It's, it's a story of wolf...
0: Oh. Wolf...
1: <laughs> Very, very extreme wolf incest, Henry. Sounds. <laughs> yes.
0: Not to sound like a guy who's pro incest, but. Um, <laughs> but. Is it true? <laughs> okay. The chances of your child having like a genetic deformity, mm-hmm. um, if you have sex with a random member of the population and have a child with them, is like 4%, mm-hmm. I think, sitting around. Okay. There. I want you to check my facts on this. Right. Apparently if you have oh, a baby with your first cousin or something, it only goes up to 7%. So like <laughs> you're likely just going to have a normal child.
1: Well, yeah. I mean cousins aren't too bad. What's the you chances of right how a lot more. <laughs> more more. Some mammals are pretty good at like they have ways of combating it, like rodents. Um, and lagomorphs and some bats have ways of like have genetic mechanisms to avoid, to sort of allow for some extra inbreeding, but stuff like carnivores, primates, yeah, I mean, you don't want to have sex with your sister, Henry. You don't want to do that. Um, I, you don't want. You're do right. That. You're right. I don't. I'm sorry. sorry. It wouldn't be good. It would not Just... be good. But cousins, cult. That that's more of a okay. I don't want to. This shouldn't be taken out of context, but with cousins, it's more of a cultural barrier than a genetic barrier. And
0: mm. Ooh, I know! Did you know yeah. that uh, common fruit flies, the females prepare to mate with their brothers over unrelated males?
1: Really? Is that? Because and fruit flies, flies also common? do it in doggy style, apparently. <laughs> I wasn't thinking they go like full missionary. <laughs> <laughs> Have you? What other animals do you think do missionary
0: <laughs> animal sex like, positions?
1: Like, would, what would you oh. do if you saw like a pigeon? Yeah, most of them do doggy style. I can't think of a single other animal that would that would you know head on head. Frogs face-to-face. have got
0: six different known sexual positions. Six. Six. I can Gold, only name three: inguinal, axillary, cephali- cephalic. Headstraddle, Oh yeah. yeah. The head yeah. straddle is an interesting choice. <laughs> They're called the head straddle. One's called independent. A... <laughs> and one's called That's my Move. favorite.
1: You could do the sex exposition on your own, right?
0: <laughs> no, the independent one, basically both frogs are sitting, like they sit on in- a leaf. They're facing opposite directions away from each other. <laughs> and the male's one, penis, goes in between his legs and backwards into the female. <laughs> Oh but God. they look away from each other while they do it
1: <laughs> they wow so like google, after, like google after frog independent students. sex position independent sex position i'm curious about cephalic which frogs Cephalic's do the
0: most like
1: oh, really i'm looking cool. i'm looking the uh, the one that there's one that's just called glued
0: yeah glued i like <laughs> glues where Do the female's you? like a lot bigger than the male, and the male just sort of glues himself to the back of the female, and just sort of like an anglerfish. Yeah,
1: and looks "Like, I guess it's just where you it's grab."
0: So Dude, <laughs> it's so funny how Stegosaurus is like people actually have no clue how they had sex. Really, it's papers with different diagrams of different possible sexual positions, and they're debating which one's most likely.
1: How did? Stegosaurus mate. Have you seen the size of the penis on these stegosaurs? How do they know that? It's entirely soft tissue, no? No, it is. I mean I don't know, but it's, but it's entirely but, hearsay. It's more it's more um I guess I guess it's kind of it has to it has to be that big, right? Like otherwise they're just not. They're is, just the, not... is the
0: true version of reality that the penis is just really long, so they can just sort of Stand next to each other.
1: I think they did independent. I'm going to publish a paper that suggest they use the, the independent method.
0: What's your evidence? Um, Independence just looks good.
1: Damn. It's, oh, this is my favorite.
0: Stegosauruses fact. have sex by Benjamin Berger, YouTube video. Even porcupines have sex. Where there's a will, there's a way.
1: <laughs> I mean. Wait, how yeah, do porcupines have sex? I, Porcupine's just grim and bear it. They kind of like... I'm actually going to kind of Google that. That's they not... just grim and bear it. They do. It must be worth it.
0: <laughs> Apparently they do injure themselves. There's a quote. Do like, porcupine survive mating ritual with minimal injuries. Oof. That's great. It's good to know that this pulls in over half a million views as well. Um, yeah, yeah.
1: Anyway, i still got to mating. talk about... Um, I still got to talk about wolf incest. Yes, yeah, sorry. So the wolves have basically all have spinal deformities because after two individual wolves came on the island, every sane biologist would have told you that within five years they'd be dead. No, that didn't happen. Okay, that's interesting. All the new sane biologists come and they say, okay, what's going to happen is that over 10 years, maybe 20, they're going to establish some kind of population cycle with the wolf, with the moose. And we're going to have some nice equilibrium being established. That's what all the math says, you know, and um, that didn't happen. And this is a nice example of when nature just got really unpredictable, because basically the highest number of moose that has ever been observed since the arrival of the wolves is about 2,500. That's a lot. And it is. And recently there are about 500. And then there's there's gone up to 700 again. And basically there's just absolutely insane fluctuations between like 3000 and zero. And the fluctuations of the wolf population, I'd say even more dramatic, the highest number of wolves that have been observed is 50 that crashed down to 14. And it started at two right now they're about 23. So something's happening. Like there's no equilibrium being established here. It's just kind of entirely stochastic. And it's a nice example of when this populations are small enough you just don 't really get sight you don 't really get things evening out into equilibrium. It just remains random for infinity until one of them just yeah. happens to die so and one like... of them's going to happen to die. I think either the wolves are going to die from too much spinal deformities and too much inbreeding depression too much incest, or the moose is going to be eaten and like the moose are straight up going to be eaten because basically moose have eaten everything that they like to eat, generally, they prefer birch and aspen trees. Once they got onto the island, within maybe a century, they've completely eaten all of the birch and aspen, so they're replacing it with the balsam fir, which makes up sixty percent of the moose's diet. But you'd never see them eating that on the mainland. Even that has declined dramatically. Like growth of balsam fir was down forty percent from previous observations. So they're kind of screwed. They're starting to eat lichen, which has been compared to like eating dust. Yeah, like it's literally eating dust. Like lichen is not food. Like they've been they've been eating snow. Like, these, they're getting emaciated. They're being slowed down by arthritis. These moose are going to die.
0: Wait, they're, getting yeah. they're, they're, they're
1: getting arthritis? Yeah. Well, they're getting arthritis because they just have no fat tissue at all. Like, they can't like, oh, right, synthesize. Yeah. They can't make anything. And basically, if you're a moose, you might have, like, a, I don't know, 2 3% chance of being killed by a wolf. Like, you're a moose in Canada, you know, you're, you might be eaten by a wolf, but a wolf only needs to eat, like, one of, every few weeks. And, like, there's a lot of moose. Like you know usually it's like a rare occurrence to be eaten by a wolf right yeah. it's like it's like not a worry on isle royale about 90 percent, just over 90 percent of the moose die from wolf attacks that's insane so nine like if you're a moose you will almost certainly die because it's
0: not like there's other problems you know i
1: well, no, but what happens is like, they just get maciated, they get arthritis, they get sick, and the second there's a sick moose, the wolves just eat you.
0: That's nice. So yeah. what I'm hearing here is there's an island off the coast somewhere in Canada, off some lake coast. Lake Superior,
1: it's in Lake Superior.
0: It's in Lake Superior, so it's in the middle yeah. of a lake. There's an island in the middle of a lake. It's a big island because it's a big lake, where there's these yeah. skeletal moose getting eaten by inbred wolves. Wolves. So three both sides packs, are just are beyond fucked.
1: Each other. They're both just sides both... are absolutely beyond fucked. Like, at the, on average, one wolf will kill like almost two moose a month. But also consistently banging. Which is like their fucking ridiculous. And they're also banging, like, well, there were two wolves originally. Like, everyone is your sister. Like, there were literally two wolves. So, this, the fact that they've gone on this long is remarkable. And actually, people were almost certain. That in the late 90s, these wolves were going to die. Like all the math said they were going to die because just mathematically, we don't have enough genes. But then, Henry, and this is my favorite part of the, uh, the story, something, something dramatic happened. And potentially the greatest, most most absolutely alpha, most Chad Wolf in the history of wolves decided. Give
0: him a name. Give him a name first.
1: His, no, his name. His name is Old Gray Guy. Okay. That name started so cool and ended so bad. <laughs> name, you can call him something else. Let's old call what a really gray guy. What's a really sexy Chad name. Brendan. Brendan. <laughs> Brendan, old Brendan, according to Wikipedia a and I quote, particularly virile wolf Ooh. um who we've named we've named Brendan crossed the 15 miles of ice to Isle Royale. He was larger much more territorial and crucially not completely fucked by incest than the other wolves. Go so, ahead. as you can imagine, you know, indescribably sexy. Like, even, even by mainland standards, this was Brendan was a sexy wolf. Yeah. By Isle Royale standards, holy shit. Yeah. Um, his one pack, like, drove pretty much all of the other ones to extinction. Yeah. So, what percentage of the wolves on Isle Royale right now do you think are his kids?
0: Is it like 99%.
1: <laughs> well no I mean there were already like well like 70 wolves there and he came okay.
0: what is it? he's arrived and he's deployed 50% of them as his kids
1: yeah <laughs> right now 56% well as of 2009 so there were about the, the wolf population averaged like 23 by the end of his 8 years of breeding he made the had 34 kids <laughs> so there were 23 wolves <laughs> and then he came and he had 34 kids and then they all had collectively 45 kids so he has 45 grandkids. So he just brought back 34 kids. <laughs> this is why this... small
0: populations are unpredictable.
1: And the because problem is Brendan like,
0: arrives with his gang. Like
1: they, were, they were all going to die. And then he just saved them, which is kind of With his good, But also so inconvenient because now they've got like another 100 years of just eternal suffering <laughs> until they die again until what? one more Chad Wolf comes yeah but and Brendan has, like, doesn't
0: have to deal with sex
1: that with 300 people and then makes more babies well, like are they not going to get just... these moose
0: like surely Brendan got a lot of moose under his belt
1: so well now we don't really know what's going to happen it was pretty clear that the moose were going to win the moose were going to out out starve the wolves and, and eventually then die the wolves themselves gonna later die. were going uh, to inbreed into extinction and the moose were just going to sort of eke out a very sad existence eating snow yeah. this this single wolf penis might have completely changed the... like You know how they say that they've changed the course of the river in Yellowstone through wolf introduction? Yeah. Like the fundamental vegetative ecology uh, of Island Royale, like by the number of moose there, number of therefore beaver and snowshoe hare and ravens from carrion. Like every aspect of the ecology of this island has been radically changed over a period of centuries by a single yeah. penis. There are about 28 right now. And 14 last year so it's kind of
0: again that's a loss from 17
1: we've gone down since the glory days of the 90s yeah and there was been there have been a lot of pushes so the environmental impact statement proposed to relocate about 30 wolves over to the island over a a, three-year period But, but the thing is yeah all the all the researchers are like no Please don't. We've been here for 70 years. Like we this is like a good way to study small scale population ecology. Yeah. And like the impact of individuals. So like the the, basically this this study has really, really changed how we think about inbreeding. So inbreeding, sure, it can screw over a population, but you can have tiny little stochastic factors, like even the migration of individuals or or the like, like the, the like the like randomness matters so much at this, little, at this little scale. So, for example, there were two packs of wolves, right? There were, pack, there, were, well, there were four in total, but because we're studying each one individually, you can study each wolf. You can write a paper on every wolf, right? Like, there are that many researchers. And in 2006, the East Pack leader killed the leader of Chippewa Harbor's pack, Alpha, as witnessed by John Vukesic, right? He's one of the lead researchers on the island. And the Chippewa Harbour pack, without this leader, if this leader hadn't died in this one-on-one fight, their pack might die off. And their pack, they're on the western side of the island, the eastern side is the one that has more balsam fur left. So there are more healthy moose on the eastern side. The eastern side is just killed off the western side. It's possible the moose might move over to the western side, thereby, like, the, the longevity of these two populations could increase by 50 years, or 100 years, or 200 years, just because of the outcome of this single fight between two alphas. And, like, that. these little yeah these little things, like, it, it's a really nice example of, like, you know, the butterfly effect kind of thing. In yeah, because nature's right? generally
0: so giant. It's, yeah, exactly. You Normally can't really so thread hard. a storyline out of, like, events in nature. Like, they're, they're kind of insignificant. Like, if yeah, in yeah, mainland yeah. Canada, one alpha killed another alpha, who cares?
1: Yeah. No, but, for but, sure. But in
0: this enclosed area, it's a really significant event. It's like It's like, you know, killing a president or something, you know? Like, it changes the face oh, yeah. of the conflict. I like that, because it creates, like, heroes like uh, Brendan, where you have, like, one individual like who's actually got the capacity to change the situation around him.
1: Completely. It's quite an interesting little biological situation that they got going there. I really the like that. Wolves. I think we've cool. done that.
0: You're listening to The Substandard Model.